Okay, we're starting our summer series around here called Point of View or POV. Uh, it's, it's hard to ignore Jesus' influence in the world. There's no one in the history of the world who's had more songs sung about them, who's had more art inspired by them, uh, who's had more books written about them than Jesus. No one has affected the history of the world as much as Jesus has. And because of his massive influence, every single person needs to answer for themselves the question, who is Jesus? And depending on your answer to that question, what am I going to do about who Jesus is? And so we actually did a little bit of interviewing. We did some in our lobby, and we, we went to Mill Lake Park to, to ask people. Most of the people who were willing to talk to us gave us some sort of classic Christian answers to the question of who is Jesus and how would you describe him to people. But when you talk to your neighbors, when you talk to your friends or even family members or coworkers, you might get a lot of different reactions to the question, who is Jesus? Some people might really have no idea, but a lot of people have a wide variety of opinions about who he is. And the reason is because of his great influence, everybody has had to deal with that issue at some point. Obviously, not just in history or art, but even in religion. Jesus is either the central figure or a very prominent figure in most of the world's largest religions. His impact is undeniable. And so as we look at our series this summer, it's called POV, or Point of View, what we want to look at are stories where people encountered Jesus and had their perspective, their point of view shifted and changed by that encounter with Jesus. And along the way, maybe you and I will have our perspective shifted or challenged or changed on who Jesus is and hopefully changed to more align with who he really is and what he's actually inviting us into. So today, the first story we're looking at is quite a dramatic story. So I want to invite you to join me in Mark chapter 5. You can open up your Bibles or open your device. Uh, I'm just going to start by reading the whole story, and then we'll get into it. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. Let me pray as I do. Father, thank you again for this time we've had to gather and worship you today. And as we open up your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us bring illumination, speak truth to us, to shape us and transform us, and change our point of view to more closely align with who Jesus is and what he's calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get into Mark chapter 5, just before this story, Jesus and the disciples are in the boat crossing the lake, and that's when that big storm comes and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the disciples wake him up. Don't you care? Jesus gets up and just with his words, he rebukes the storm and it becomes calm and the disciples go, who is this guy? Even the wind and waves obey him. So even in that moment, the disciples' point of view is changed. But this is their destination as they're going through that storm. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp, himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, when they were all, uh, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. I love the book of Mark. Top four favorite gospels of all time, for sure. It's a great, it's an incredible, thank you, it's an incredible account of Jesus coming to challenge the powers and rulers of this world. Mark very intentionally portrays Jesus as a challenger to the power of Caesar. It's like Caesar is the current heavyweight champion of the world, and Jesus shows up in the ring and says, I'm going to knock you out. And he absolutely does. Uh, Mark's gospel is written with a Roman audience in mind. So as Mark writes, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't write about a birth narrative. If you've noticed that before. There's no manger scene or wise men or shepherds. Uh, he, he just gets right down to business. He gets right down to the business of Jesus's, really, he's setting up, he's showing Jesus as a conqueror of the Roman Empire. And this was important for the Romans who would be reading this because they weren't really concerned about the birth narrative. They weren't concerned about some of those details. But what they wanted to know was, if I'm going to change my point of view, if I'm going to declare Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord, I need to know, is Jesus strong enough to rule? That was very important for a Roman. Their whole empire was built by the strength of their armies, their legions, and their, and their master Caesar. Is Jesus strong enough to rule if I'm going to change my allegiance? And you see how this is built up through the whole book. The very last, or one of the last scenes in Jesus' crucifixion, it's, it's portrayed as Jesus' ascension to the throne. He's being crowned and inaugurated as king on the cross. And what happens but a Roman soldier declares, surely he is the son of God. So the whole march through Mark's gospel is showing Jesus as the conquering king who comes to overthrow the powers of the world. Adding a layer to that theme, Caesar and Rome represent more than just oppressive Roman power, oppressive human power. They represent oppressive spiritual power and our true enemy, Satan and demons. So Satan and demons, they actually work through human power. You see this all through scripture. They work through human power to influence and oppress God's people. 
So when Jesus challenges Caesar and Rome, he's actually challenging Satan and demons. The book of Mark actually has more encounters between Jesus and demons than the other three Gospels. But listen to how uh, Jesus highlights this theme in Mark chapter 3, verse 27. Jesus says, Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now, I think I'm pretty strong. I'm a decently sized human. I work out. Okay, but sometimes I meet people who make me feel like a child with how strong they are. There was one time a few years ago, we were moving into a new house in Victoria, and uh, things were still getting hooked up, and so I had an appointment, I had an internet guy coming to hook up our internet. And so the doorbell rings, I go to the door, I open the door, and like Arnold Schwarzenegger is standing on my doorstep, Ronnie Coleman is there, like this guy was one of the biggest humans I have ever encountered in my life, muscles dripping off him everywhere, just busting through that TELUS t-shirt, whatever he was wearing. And, and, and immediately I'm thinking, I'm going to let this guy into my house? Like I was all alone, no one was there. He comes in, like, I'll tell you, like he was a super nice guy, super, super nice guy, but just a massive individual. And I, I remember thinking while he was there, if he wanted to do anything if he wanted to steal anything, there is nothing I could do to stop him. Now, he was, he was in uh, our closet where we had all of our connections, and, and he was testing wires. But when he was testing wires for the internet, he didn't use, like, one of those cool electrician testers. He touched them to his tongue. Like, this guy was, that's how big and scary this guy looked. So just like Jesus is saying, like, sure, Dave is a decently strong person, but when, when Arnold showed up, there's nothing Dave could have done if he wanted to plunder my goods. That's the illustration Jesus is giving here. So in, in the world at the time, in the world at the time where Mark is writing, the strongest man was Caesar. And behind him, Satan was the strong man or the strong fallen angel. But Jesus is the stronger man who comes to plunder Satan and Caesar's house. He comes to take Satan's stuff. And what is Satan's stuff? You and me. We are under the thumb of oppressive powers. We are under the thumb of Satan and demons. We are under their power. But Jesus says, I'm the stronger man. I'm coming to knock them out and steal you to be my own. This is Jesus invading the domain of the powers of this world. The strong man come to save us. So for the first time, uh, So for the first time in Mark, Jesus takes this message and his war, he takes this to a non-Jewish area. He takes it to a Gentile area, the area of the Gerasenes. They've gone across the lake, they've come through the storm, and he comes up on the beach. He's expanding his ministry, he's expanding his territory, he's expanding his kingdom outside the Jewish borders. And like a conquering uh, soldier, he comes by sea, like, like soldiers storming Normandy, he, he comes up on the beaches, and immediately, as soon as he steps on shore, he's met by opposition. The enemy forces waylay him in the form of this demon-possessed man. So listen to how this man is described in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists 
and smashed the shackles. Listen, no one was strong enough to subdue him. See how this is setting up. No one was strong. There was no strong man stronger than this man in, in the tombs. There was nobody who could do it. So Jesus shows up. Is Jesus going to be strong enough to subdue the strong man? The man lived in a graveyard. He lived in a, like, think about how in society we tend to push undesirable people to the edges of society. We have shelters for people. We have certain areas of town uh, where the homeless or the addicted are allowed to hang out. People that make us uncomfortable, we push to different areas. What's the worst possible place we could tell someone, this is the only place you're allowed to live? Literally, he's in the place of death. He's in tombs where there are dead bodies. He's been pushed so far to the outskirts of town so that he doesn't have to encounter anybody who he makes feel uncomfortable. This man was sent to the tombs, exiled to the place of death. The the demon-possessed man in this story is meant to represent our condition. Often when we read Bible stories, we want to identify with the hero of the story, but normally we're supposed to identify with the, the victims or the people who are oppressed or even the oppressors. But in this situation, we are meant to identify with this man who's been overcome with the dark forces of the world. We have been overcome by dark forces that dominate us. We've lost control. We can't save ourselves. We've been exiled to places of death. Who will save us from these powerful forces? We need a strong man. Maybe you're in a place of exile right now. You're in a place where you don't want to be. You're feeling like you're in a place of death. You feel like you're an outsider. You're struggling or dark forces are overwhelming your life. Jesus comes proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is storming the beaches of this world to overthrow and cast out the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is the strong man arriving in the places of death and exile to save us, to rescue us, and to bring us home. That's the good news. So Jesus begins speaking with the demon-possessed man, and the demons admit that there's actually a whole bunch of them in there. They give themselves the name Legion. So here's some military language. The Romans were famous for their fearsome military force. A Roman legion was five to 6,000 armed soldiers. Their conquests were brutal. They were violent. In the conquest of Gaul, they slaughtered over a million people and took a half a million Slaves. That was the reputation of the Roman legions. Legions were an ever-present force in Israel and the surrounding areas throughout the empire. They were a force that possessed the land, controlled the land, forced you to do things. Like when Jesus gave his famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if someone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. That's him saying a Roman soldier actually has a right to force you to carry their gear a mile. And he's saying, use your freedom to serve them as a way to kind of, in a nonviolent way, rebel against their authority. But he's just talking about the fact that there's so many ways in which the Roman soldiers controlled people and exerted their will over them. They were this force that people saw and feared and wished they could get rid of. Nobody had the power to subdue the Roman legions. Nobody was strong enough to subdue the Roman legions. Is Jesus going to be strong enough? So Jesus is speaking with this legion of demons. He tells them to take a hike, but then they begin begging Jesus, don't send us far from here. And I think what they're begging Jesus to do is not to send them straight to the lake of fire, not to send them where they will belong one day eternally. 
um, but also just they wanted to stay in the area. And, and there's some mystery here, but I think one of the things the Bible talks about is that the way demons are dispersed in the world, they're not like organized and friendly with all the other demons. <laughs> like it's not like it's, it's not the opposite of, of God who's well organized. Like they're at war even within themselves. And I think they're often distributed geographically. And being a pastor who's pastored in, in three cities now, I will tell you that the dark powers in every city feel different. Like different cities experience different cycles of sin and injustice and dark forces. Abbotsford has its own demons. And I think every church has its own cycles of sin and oppressive powers that are working against every church because I've felt that too in the different churches I've pastored. And so we need to be in, in, in uh, partnership with Jesus and in submission to him, working to break the cycles of sin and demonic oppression in our church. And, and if you've been in APA long enough, you know what some of those cycles are. And so we need to bring Jesus, the strong men to come. Jesus, liberate us from the work of the enemy in our church and in our city. So the demons beg him, don't, don't send us too far from here. And so we read in verse 12 and 13, it's, it's strange, but I'll, I'll give you some explanation in a moment. Send us into those pigs, the spirits beg. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the river. Okay, lots more military language in this paragraph. Jesus gave them permission. The Greek wording is very similar to military commands of the day. The, the phrase, they plunged down the steep hillside, is a phrase used to talk about a military charge. So these pigs are charging down the hill. And all this military language, again, is reflecting the fact that this is an invasion of Jesus' kingdom into the darkness of this world. There's lots of brilliant stuff going on here. For, for example, apparently, uh, one of the nicknames, a derogatory nickname that Jewish people gave to groups of Roman soldiers was a herd of pigs. Now, we do this too. We love you. Hey, if you're a police officer in this room, we love you. We would never say this about you. But as you know, there are some sinners in this world who call police officers pigs, right? It's kind of the same thing, people who don't like them. Or we use this language in other ways. We use it to, to, to uh, say derogatory things about different groups of people that make us uncomfortable, we don't like. We give nicknames to people we don't like. Or if you think of like um, U.S. Navy SEALs are called frogmen, right? It's a nickname for a type of group of people. So Jewish people, in a derogatory way, they'd see a group of Roman soldiers, they'd say, look at those pigs over there. And so here's this, this kind of layered meaning here as Jesus sends this legion of demons into this herd of pigs. This is Jesus, once again, doing battle against the legions of darkness. <clears throat> they would have looked at pigs the way most of us would look at rats. What would you want to do if you saw a couple of thousand rats in the middle of this room, light this place on fire, right? We're moving somewhere else. We would not want, we wouldn't want to be anywhere near that. That's how the Jews saw pigs and how they saw the Romans. Now stick with me. Israel also saw Rome itself as a beast, an ungodly, evil, 
beast. Beasts like we're seeing in Daniel's vision, these beasts came out of the what? The sea. And in the vision in Revelation, one of the beasts came out of the sea. And so there's this connection between beasts, these oppressive powers that were against God's people, and the chaotic darkness and unknown powers that came from the sea. So all of these images are being put together. The Israelites would have liked nothing more than all these beasts, these Roman pigs, to be pushed back into the sea where they came from. And if you look back in Israel's history, there was another oppressive military power that God drowned in the sea. Pharaoh and his soldiers were drowned in the Red Sea as they chased the Hebrews through. So what's Jesus saying? The strong man has come. The same God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, who overwhelmed Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and drowned his military in the sea, is here to overwhelm Caesar and more specifically to overwhelm the dark forces behind Caesar's rule, and he's sending them back into the sea. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does for those who put their trust in him. He fights for us. He, he, through us, can declare, and he even gives us authority in his name to say, you know what, whatever you're doing in my life, Satan and demons, you can just go back into the sea. You don't belong here. You don't have any authority here. You're not allowed in my life. You're not allowed in my church. You can go back where you belong in the sea, back to your death, back to your place of darkness, back to your place of torment. You do not belong here. Jesus casts dark forces back where they belong. Let's finish the story and hit some implications here. So we learn that those who were tending the pigs ran off, telling everybody what happened. This guy, Jesus, he showed up. There was that demon-possessed man everybody knows. All the pigs ran into the water. A crowd comes together to figure out what's going on. They come. They freak out. They see their friend, who they had known has been possessed by these demons forever. They see him completely sane, in his right mind, actually wearing clothes. Everything's changed for him. But what do they do? They don't praise Jesus. They don't worship Jesus. They don't ask Jesus to cast out more demons. What do they do? They ask him to leave. Like Jesus asked the demons to leave, now the people are asking Jesus to leave. The irony is the demon-possessed man is now in his right mind, but the people have gone crazy. But what happened? Jesus impacted their economy. Imagine the economic impact in a small town of a herd of 2,000 pigs being completely destroyed. Now listen, listen, here's what happens. We love the idea of Jesus being our Savior. We call to him to save us from whatever's oppressing us, whatever we're frustrated by. We sing about breakthrough. We want him to come and do a miracle as long as he doesn't touch our stuff. Jesus, come fix my problems, but make sure nothing impacts my job, my retirement plan, my house, my plans, my habits. You just do your Savior thing and let me be. But when Jesus actually saves us, he messes things up because he needs to completely reorient everything. So don't pray for salvation unless you're willing for the Savior and the Lord. He's not just our Savior. He's our Lord. In fact, first he's our Lord, and then he becomes our Savior. I'm going on holidays after this. I'm just, I'm loose today. 
Pastor Nick can deal with the damage I leave when I go. We come to the end of the story, verse 18. Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he had told them. The formerly demon-possessed man wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said no, and he sent him back into his own hometown, in his own area, to be the first ever missionary outside of Israel. Like, these are, this is a huge implication. This guy was literally packed with 2,000 demons five minutes ago. Now he's a missionary. Friends, you don't need a 1,000 years of maturity to go start telling people about the goodness of God. You just need to start telling your story. You just need to start telling your story. So the amazing thing is, the first, here's the first time Jesus comes to the area of the Gerasenes. He does a miracle. People say, go away. Jesus came back a few chapters later, and there's a move of God. What happened? There was this formerly demon-possessed man telling his story that prepared the way for Jesus to come back and see a move of God. So we've seen uh, the point of view of the demon-possessed man change. We've seen the point of view of the people who were scared of what Jesus was doing. We've seen the point of view of his disciples even as he came over uh, through the storm. And you have to realize that not everybody who meets Jesus leaves happy. And not everybody who hears the truth and witnesses a miracle and encounters the reality of the Lord leaves happy, nor do they leave with the right understanding of who he is. Not everyone who leaves church leaves with the right point of view about who Jesus is. We need to come to Jesus with humility and allow him to minister the way he wants to minister and respond to him appropriately. So what are some ways that this story can shape our point of view on Jesus? Number one, we have an enemy, and it's not people. We have an enemy, and it's not people. The people in the Gerasenes viewed the man in the tombs as the problem. They chained him up. But the real problem was something darker and deeper. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who's the strong man? You? Me? The Lord. Be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle, what we're fighting against, the oppressive forces of this world are not flesh and blood, because behind even the worst human evils of this world are dark spiritual forces. In the story, the demon-possessed man wasn't the problem. The real problem wasn't even Caesar or the Roman legions. If it was, Jesus would have started an army, but he didn't because his real enemy was something deeper. The real problem in our city is not homeless people. It's not drug addicts. It's not even drug dealers. The real problem is not a a politician or a political party. The real problem in the church is not a pastor or a board or crazy members. Those are not the real problems. 
The real problem is a dark spiritual power at work trying to destroy the goodness of God in the world. Listen, all those other problems need to be addressed. They need to be addressed with wise leaders and good politics and good policies and and good leadership in the church. All those things need to be addressed. But behind those, we need to recognize the real forces at work. We have an enemy, and that enemy is not human. Jesus didn't storm the beach of the Gerasenes to stage a political revolt against the Roman Empire. Jesus located the real enemy and dealt with him directly. If we don't identify the real enemy, we will end up fighting the very people we are called to help liberate. All right, number two. Um, Number two, Jesus doesn't use the same weapons as Caesar. Jesus doesn't use the same weapons as Caesar. In a very misguided way, Often Christians will try to fight spiritual powers with physical weapons, and it doesn't work. We can't defeat our true enemy with human powers, putting our hope in human strength. Politics and legislation and armies don't defeat the work of the devil. If they did, Jesus would have used those powers, but he didn't. What did Jesus use? He used truth and grace, and love, and suffering, and sacrifice, and worship, and prayer, and the meek, and the spiritually hungry were the weapons of Jesus. These are spiritual weapons endowed with the power of God, which are much more mighty than any weapon any human can devise. That passage in Ephesians continues. We're struggling against dark spiritual forces. What should we do? Paul writes in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What can we use to defend ourselves or advance against spiritual forces? Truth to root out lies. Righteousness to overcome sin. Peace to defeat defeat violence. Faith to dispel fear. Our salvation protects us from judgment. And the word of God is the sword that strikes against our enemy. In the desert of temptation, when Jesus was head-to-head with Satan, what did he do? He used the Word of God. He used the Word of God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is portrayed in battle, but it's an apocalyptic image. It's a symbolic image because Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. Jesus' weapon is the Word of truth. He slays his enemies with his Word, not a sword in his hand. We don't fight like Caesar. We fight like Jesus. Truth, righteousness, peacemaking, faith, salvation, sacrifice in God's word. Number three, we have a missionary calling. Each of us has a missionary calling. Jesus sent the now liberated man back to his own hometown, to his own people, to the people who knew him growing up, to the people who watched in horror as the demonic powers started to consume his life and cast him out of society. And he showed up fully clothed, 
in his right mind with a story to tell. And it's amazing because this guy didn't know the answer to why bad things happen to good people. He didn't know the answer to how many days creation actually was or how old the earth is. He didn't know the answer to what do we do about people who struggle with gender identity issues. He had never, probably never even read the Old Testament scriptures because he was a Gentile. All he had was a story of what Jesus had done for him. And so many of us disqualify ourselves from sharing the good news because we think we can't deal with the questions of the day. And it's good to be able to deal with the questions of the day, but more powerful than, the questions of the, than dealing with the questions of the day is just sharing your story. No one can argue against a life that's been transformed. We overcome our enemy through the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. That's what the scriptures say. You have a story to share. Some of you might say, well, I don't really have much of a story to share. I was never, you know, a drug addict, and I never really rebelled, and I never really went astray. I always grew up in church. That's a story to share, that you can actually grow up and not go astray. That's incredible. God's power was able to sustain you and protect you and lead you to a place of walking in holiness your whole life. That's an amazing miracle. You are one of the few in this world who can say that. We all have a story to share about what Jesus has done for us, and it's the most powerful thing we can do in our missionary calling. Jesus has begun his invasion. He came declaring, as the prophets did before him and the apostles did after him, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God, even today, is being established It is coming, it is arriving, it is in process of being established, and it will fully be inaugurated as Jesus returns one day on that white horse with that sword in his mouth. And we have been sent out to be messengers of its arrival, to say, look at what the kingdom of God is like. Look what it can produce. Look at the story of Jesus working in his people. The church is a beacon, a bastion of hope for people who are oppressed by the dark powers that oppress and overwhelm this world. You have a story to tell. Jesus is a king who will brave a deadly storm, cross the lake, come to a graveyard, storm the beach to set you free. He's a king who is inaugurated and crowned on a cross, and instead of of attacking his enemies, he hangs there saying, Father, Forgive him. These are the weapons of Jesus and the story we can tell. Jesus hung on the cross thinking about you, saying, forgive them, free them, liberate them from the dark forces that would try to destroy them. And now you have a story to tell that's so powerful and so incredible that it can change the world. Because when that man told his story and Jesus came back a few, a few weeks later, the whole region was transformed. Think about that. Ben, would you come back up? We're going to spend the last few minutes in prayer and worship as the band leads us. And, and Annie Lynn chose some songs that, that really align well with, with the message today. Songs about God's delivering power. Songs about praise being a weapon that silences the enemy. Songs about breakthrough. And I know in this room there are plenty of people who would say, I just I feel like I'm being overwhelmed. I feel like there's forces that are against me. I feel like I'm, I'm drowning. I feel like I can't get out of what I'm in, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus is stronger, 
that Jesus is stronger. The kingdom of God has come in Christ and it is available to you to receive by faith the power of Jesus to bring a transformation in your life. So would you stand with me? I want to fill you with faith today as we praise and as we pray. The prayer team is going to come as well. Prayer team, please come right now. If you have a need, if you want someone to join with you in asking Jesus to exert his power and his strength in your life, that's what the prayer team is here for today. If you want to just come and be at the front to worship and you don't need to have the prayer team pray for you, just come and worship whatever you want to do. We're going to spend this time in prayer and praise, asking for Jesus to come with his liberating power to free us from the work the enemy would do to oppress, to destroy, to kill, and to steal. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much in Jesus' name that when you saw us exiled into death, overwhelmed by dark forces, overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by the work of the enemy and the dark powers of this world, you did not leave us abandoned and in exile. You did not leave us in the place of death, but you sent your son Jesus to storm the beaches of this world to inaugurate a kingdom, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and hope and freedom for those who believe. And so today in Jesus' name, we pray for freedom for the oppressed, recovery of sight for the blind, liberation for the prisoner in Jesus' name. Lord, that any work the dark one would have, any work he's doing to possess or oppress or to steal, kill, and destroy, in Jesus' name, we break it in Jesus' name. We break it, Lord, that those here who have been struggling under darkness, those here who have been struggling with addiction and sickness and disease and, and feeling, Lord, like there's no hope in their life, I pray, Jesus, you would show your strength. You are the strong man. You are the one who comes into the house, binds our enemy, and plunders his goods. Lord Jesus, bind the enemy, I pray. Bind the spiritual forces that fight against our church. Bind the spiritual forces that fight against our families. Bind the spiritual forces that are located here in Abbotsford and bring, bring darkness and confusion and division to God's people. Lord Jesus, come in your power and in your strength to bring liberty, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus and in unity God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.